So uh, we're going to do the Bible reading now, and if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians um, 12, and uh, we'll be reading from verse 31 to chapter 13, 13. So that's 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and re- reading through to chapter 13, 13. That is actually the whole of chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So obviously we're continuing in our series um, on Master Life. And um, it, it, again, I'm just overwhelmed by this series. Thank you so much of those, for those of you who have asked about being involved in Master Life and uh, wanting to commence this course. Uh, we will be doing a sign-up on the 14th of February um, for those who do actually want to be a part of it. And uh, I see a few groups that will perhaps form as a result of that happening. So we're continuing our series on, and, uh, on this first book. And the first book is actually called The Disciples' Cross. And uh, it's a six-week course, The Disciples Cross, and uh, there's three other books that come after that, so 24 weeks all up. But last week, we were privileged to be able to hear from uh, Pastor Jeff, who presented a great message on how we should pray in faith. And uh, being the outstanding Baptist pastor that he is, uh, he gave us a four-point acrostic to help us remember how or why we should pray in faith. And he spoke about the significance of prayer. He gave a sample prayer, and he spoke about being steadfast in prayer and the surety of prayer. And this topic of praying faith concluded the vertical aspects of the cross. Uh, We begin our journey by denying ourselves, taking our our cross daily and following uh, following Christ. And then um, 
we take that next step in declaring Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. It was about making Christ the centre of our lives. And we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. And as we daily submit more and more of ourselves, He fills more and more of our life until He fills our life completely. Every thought, every decision, every action is made with Christ in mind. And uh, we want to abide in Him. We want to live in Him. And that's where John 15, 5 comes from. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, there's this desire to know him and to connect with him. And I want to be established in his word. I want to understand what he's saying in his word. And in fact, we're called to remain in him. And that's the downward arm of the cross. And that remaining is that abiding or dwelling or living in his word. John 8 Uh, 31 to 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in strengthening our relationship through reading the word, we'll also want to communicate with God. And that's where prayer comes into it. We abide in his word, we know what he says, we believe it, and we know that we can then ask according to God's will. And he will answer us. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And today we're going to move to the first of those horizontal bars. It's about fellowshipping with believers. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again for the power of your word. I want to thank you that we have it in our hands here, Lord. And I want to ask for your forgiveness the times when my Bible has collected dust rather than being read. And Father, my prayer, my desire for myself, for everyone who can hear my voice here in the auditorium and in line at home, is that we will be a changed people in 2021, that we will be a people who want to know you more. And that, Lord, we'll have this desire not only to read your word, but action what it says. And particularly tonight, Lord, I I desire that we have this growing passion to fellowship with each other, to build unity at SDBC, Lord, and to be a people of God who are acknowledged for the love for each other so father tonight's your night take it and use it for your glory speak to us each of us as we have need lord in jesus name amen there's this conversation that i often have as a pastor and it comes so regularly with people it's actually a little bit frustrating to be quite honest i'm not saying that to put you off if you want to have this conversation after the service but be warned Uh, these these conversations have a few different approaches um, but the underlying thought is much the same and people say things like i don't need to attend church i i connect with god best when I'm enjoying his creation when I'm out looking at his forest when I'm looking at the beach when I'm looking at the stars in the sky when I'm looking at magnificent waterfalls likewise there's these people who may say something like well I'm a shy person I don't I don't connect with people too well and God made me this way so surely he doesn't expect me to come out of my comfort zone and to connect with people that's just not me And although I haven't had the conversation yet, I I have no doubt that coming off the back of our COVID restrictions, there's going to be a whole ton of people who've been very comfortable at home, not gathering here as a church, and they've been able to do church at home. Praise God for the technology we have to be able to do that. Praise God for the people that are connecting with us at home. But 
It worked during COVID. And they're going to ask, why shouldn't it work now? Why shouldn't we continue the way we are? But the way Jesus tells us to fellowship, the way he tells us to be a people of God is very different. And I want to think first and foremost about what the mark of a disciple is. This is something that Jesus talks about. And what becomes clearly evident as we read through Scripture is that Jesus never intended his disciples to do it alone. He says there's one thing that allows the world to look upon you as a people of God, as a group of believers, and they will recognize you as my disciples. He says in John 13, 34, and 35 a new commandment i give to you love one another just as i have loved you you also love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another and this is the memory verse for for this part of of the disciples cross and in it, Jesus says, this, this is the one identifying mark. This is what you should be showing as one of my disciples. Uh, this is how you should act towards one another so people will look upon you and know that you're one of my followers. He says, love one another. And he's speaking about that love that we should have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a love that cannot be evident in word only. It's a love that must be lived out. Loving relationships are the very heart and life lived for Jesus Christ. As when we walk this life together, when we express this love, as we walk that life, that Jesus is evident. <clears throat> Jesus himself didn't need to do life with anyone. God is complete with himself. He didn't need us. He chooses us. He desires to share with us. And so Jesus comes to earth and he came and lived the way he did as an example for us. He didn't need disciples around him. He didn't need to be encouraged by them. But he modeled what a true commitment to God should look like. That's clearly evident in, in this verse. It's also evident in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus models, that firstly, the love that he calls us to have for each other. And then he commands us to do the same. Note, it's a command. He's telling us we have to do it. It's not optional. Not attending church in all of its forms is clearly not an option. Now, hear me clearly. We have commitments. We have things that we have to do. We're not going to be beating your door down and dragging you off to the police for not attending church at those times. But our commitment should be to be in church any time we possibly can. Not meeting with fellow Christians on a regular basis prevents us from being able to show this Jesus-commanded love to each other. It prevents them from doing the same for us. And it's the church which Jesus calls his body. And a body doesn't function unless all of the parts are united, all of the parts are joined together, functioning in the manner it was always designed to be. And Hebrews 10.24 tells us, <clears throat> let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Meeting together is about loving each other, encouraging each other, building each other up in the faith, spurring each of us on to greater and greater works for Jesus. 
You may have said the prayer. You may be obedient to Jesus in other ways. But if you're not living in a manner that shows love for Jesus Christ and for the brothers and sisters in Christ, for the church that Jesus died for, you're not showing that you're his disciples. You're living in disobedience to him and his word. And funnily enough, if you were part of a Christian community, you would consider accountability a gift. And so we have this gift of accountability within the Christian church. And it's interesting, there seems to be this natural aversion um, when we talk about making ourselves accountable to anyone. And I suppose it could be because of the society we live in um, where we're constantly being told, you don't have to listen to anyone, it's your life, you do what you want, it's your body, it's your choices. And perhaps... It's where we start messing up as Christians. We have to have it clear within our minds that we are not our own. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. First and foremost, we need to realise our lives are no longer ours. If we call Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we've acknowledged the incredible sacrifice, the incredible price he made so we could have relationship with him. And when I, when I came to that point of realising that I needed a Saviour, I submitted to him. Remember that first week we spoke about Christ at the centre. He becomes our purpose, our number one priority, if you prefer. We now live for him, submitted to him, his ways, his purposes, his desire, his will. And the Hebrews passage that we read before challenges us to look for ways to spur each other on to greater works for Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 has the same message. This is a positive affirmation. This is about seeing the potential in others, nurturing and encouraging them. But there's a greater responsibility in the Christian church. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who, are a you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I cannot begin to tell you um, the many times I've spoken with people who've been living in or doing things that are counter to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the most part, when I've offered to spend time with them or arrange an accountability partner for the females who need to go through the same process, they've been able to overcome that which is against God. There's real power in confessing and being accountable to someone. And I can honestly say, I know I've only been a pastor for a short period of time, I think it's like nine years now, something like that. But I've done this my entire life. I've had people coming to me. And in all that time, and we're possibly talking about literally hundreds of people now, in all that time there's only been one person who hasn't been able to overcome the addiction that they were caught up in. When they come and genuinely confessed it, when we spent time and prayed together, when we worked through it, there is power in sharing a burden with a Christian brother or sister. I don't understand it, but it works. The other thing is, and without a doubt, some of these things are devastating. Some of these things are life-destroying. And 
I've cried with them. Heartbroken for what has happened. But in the midst of some crazy, crazy situations, I've seen God's goodness. And as we have been on our knees, confessing, interceding, praying, crying, God's always provided the grace to deal with the situation and he has always provided a way forward. God so often reveals himself, his will, his purposes and his direction through other trusted Christian friends. For those of you who've come to me with things that you wish to pray about to seek God's direction and guidance, you've heard me say, gather two or three of people around you for the next couple of weeks. Get them to pray for you constantly. Then get them to come back to you and tell you what God is saying. Trusted Christian friends who can discern God's will and purpose for you. We need to be listening to those people. And when those trusted Christian friends tell us that we're heading in the wrong direction, we're doing something wrong, we should allow them to reveal from Scripture why they're saying that. Allow them to direct us to God's word. If we love God as we intended, we'd have this element of trust where there'd be this incredible freedom to share past difficulties amongst Christian brothers and sisters. And you've heard me say before, if we knew the struggles that each of us faced, if we knew the struggles that God has helped us overcome, we'd be a more united family. Because you know, if I was helping someone who was suffering from depression... The best person to speak with that person is someone who's gone through depression. If I'm speaking to a female who has lost a child, I, I, I don't honestly know what she's going through, but someone who's lost a child does. And sometimes it's not even about what you say, it's about being present. It's about doing that journey with them. It's about understanding the pain and heartache and just being that loving arm. It's God's hand that has transformed our lives, which empowers and helps us to minister to that person and allow them to triumph at that time. Again, circumstances aren't going to change. They will still grieve, but they will know God's presence and power in the midst of that. They will know his love. And accountability comes from trust. Trust begins when we, when I, first and foremost, are willing to make ourselves vulnerable. That's why I don't hide anything in my past. That's why I openly talk about my divorce. I think you need to know. And I know all of you, if you have someone who's about to have a marriage breakup or something like that, you'll say, yep, Charlie, he understands. Go talk to him. In the midst of this vulnerability, our Father can work through others in the church and accomplish his will in our lives. But we have to make the first step. The other thing that being part of a fellowship does, provides help for withered Christians. And this is an in interesting term. And, and again, I'm just pulling these straight out of the Master Life course. So when you do to get to do that, you'll be able to remember some of this stuff. This is an interesting term, but it's appropriate. And this is talking about those Christians who are no longer advancing in the faith. Uh, I don't think too many Christians say it this day because there's been so many speakers against this attitude. But people used to say, well, I've put my Christian life on pause. I'm just having a bit of a break. You never actually do that as a Christian. If you're not advancing, you're going backwards. That's the reality. 
And you slowly lose that connection and that faith and that love that you have for God. And before too long, you realize you've moved well away from where you should be. Uh, I've been abundantly blessed by a wife who doesn't scold me too much for spending stupid amounts of money. Um, I, I, we bought a family queue barbecue. And those of you know, who know Weber barbecues know they're very expensive. And then she said, let's buy one of them other ones that you put those coals in. So um, I bought a secondhand one. I refurbished it. It looked absolutely fantastic. I went in to buy one part for it and I bought a brand new one instead. Um, so I don't know how that happened. But the thing is, these coals, when you're cooking with coals, it tastes so good, but we won't go there. Uh, and, and the thing is, every time I cook with this barbecue, I, I see these coals. And, and the thing with coals is they have to be together to maintain their temperature. And you've possibly all heard that story about the pastor who went to see a congregational member and he knocked on the congregational member's door. No one spoke. The congregational member opened the door. He walked in and they sat by the fire and nothing was said. But the pastor got the fire tongs and he picked up one coal and he pulled it out of the fire and he put it on the hearth. And slowly the coal just stopped glowing and ashed over and went cold. And then the pastor picked the coal back up and put it back in the fire and left. And the congregational member was at church the next week. The point is, we have to be part of the fire. We have to be like that coal, which is not out on its own, cooling down. It's actually part of the group and it is kept hot and vibrant and soon on fire and providing heat again. And it's like that for us. When we don't meet together, we might kid ourselves and say we're okay in reading our Bible and engaging with God ourselves. And to be honest, it is great to do that. It's great to go out on your own and spend time in the wilderness and connect with God, but make it one day. And a day when you're not saying, well, this is going to replace what I do at church because you must be in fellowship. We must be together. Otherwise, it just fades. Think about what we said in Hebrews 10.24. We should want to meet together to hear about what God is doing in each other's lives. Why do you think I really push good news stories? I want people to see that God is active and real and doing things in each other's lives. So it spurs us on to that greater work. It encourages us that God is active and moving amongst us. And it's so good to gather here and see others around us engaging with God. Uh, you've got no idea how much I love standing before a congregation. I see people with their eyes closed, with their hands raised. They're not thinking about those people around them. They're thinking about their relationship with God and, and they just want to honour and glorify Him and they don't care what people are going to say. I love that. And we're seeing it more and more here at STBC. And I'm not saying you must raise your hands. Please don't hear that. Um, I come from a Presbyterian church. We used to fix hand raising by lowering the fans. So it's okay if you don't raise your hands. Um, but we just want people to engage with God. And, and I'm greatly encouraged. There's certain people in our congregation, some here tonight, if I'm having a down week, I like to pick them out. I like to see what they're doing with Jesus on a particular night. And it encourages me. I, I love seeing the smile on their faces. I suppose that won't happen for a while now, hey. But I, I just love seeing the smiles on their faces and see how they engage with God. And if I'm having a down week, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that they're just engaged with you tonight. Thank you that they're connecting with you. And before I know it, I'm praising and honoring and glorifying him as well because of what you do. There's been so many occasions in my life when I've had transformational experiences because I've been in church. 
God spoken to me so directly. I recommitted my life because I was in church and God spoke to me directly. Uh, I had this really dark moment when I was in church and, and I actually ran out of the church because I just couldn't handle it anymore. And God just put his hand on this guy and said, you chase that dude and you just run him down and you just pray for him. This guy didn't even know me, but he ran me down and he prayed for me. Uh, and, and it was just such a God moment. It, it was incredible. And it happened because I was in church on a Sunday. Think about those sitting around you. We've got no idea what's going on in each other's lives for the most part. And even today, with the masks on, the way you sang, the way you raised your hands, the way the guys on stage engaged with God had an impact upon people. You have an impact upon those around you. Don't hear me saying you should do what you do to impact those around you. Continue praising and glorifying God. And it's as you look to God, as you serve him, as you worship, honour and glorify him, others will be affected by that as well. That's what being part of the body can actually do for us. Remember, as part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, when one part suffers, the other parts suffer as well. We all suffer. And you not being here makes the rest of us incomplete. And you not being here means the work that Jesus plans for SDBC can't advance. So let's make a conscious choice <clears throat> to be those who help those around us, those who may be struggling to be all they can be for Christ. Let's speak encouraging words. Let's be willing to read the Bible with someone who is struggling. Let's be willing to pray for those around us. And when I say pray for those around us, don't say, hey, I'll pray for you this week. Pray for them there and then on the spot. Because if you're anything like me, you've got a tendency to forget. So pray for them there and then. Encourage them by doing that. And don't think you know how they want you to pray. Ask them. You know, I, I, I've been... I've been shocked many times uh, when people get that terminal diagnosis where they know they're going to die. And uh, someone says, hey, Charlie, can you come and pray? And you have that conversation with them and you say, hey, how long have you got? And it might only be a matter of months. And, I mean, that's devastating. And the amount of times I've said, how would you like me to pray? And, you know, people are like, that's a no-brainer, man. Pray that he gets healed. You know, I can honestly say, for the most part, I'd say about 90%, have never asked to be prayed for healing. The most ask for a closer relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Blows me away. We need to ask people how they want us to pray and then pray into that situation. Let's be people who talk about our Lord and Saviour. Let's talk about all he does. Again, those good news stories that I keep harping on about. They have the power to encourage and build others up who are withering. Can I ask you to keep an eye out for those you haven't seen for a while? Contact them, see how they're going, encourage them. And I believe that is what Christ expects us to do. I've said it before, and I no doubt we'll be saying it until I go to be with Jesus, but the Christian walk and life is not an easy walk and life. When we say we follow Jesus, we're called to be obedient to him. We should have this desire to build Christ-honoring relationships with others. And that takes time and commitment. And the relationships we build here are totally different to how the world does it. Remember John 
13, 34 and 35 again. We are commanded to love one another. And this is a love that will show the world that we are disciples or followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world's way is generally to love those who will give something back to you, who will love you back, or those who have common interests with you, those who can help you as far as your social standing is concerned. But we're told we're not to be like that. When we allow thinking like that to enter the church, we're living counter to Christ's command to love one another. And I've spoken not so long ago about this agape love. This is a love that does not demand a return. It's a love, a decision and a choice to love, even those who appear unlovable. It's the love Christ first showed me. When I was at my worst, when I was a sinner, unable to help myself, he loved me. And it's this love which should overflow from God from me to others. It's a love that is demanded of God. It's a call so serious that Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's a sacrificial love, a love that costs. Jesus laid down his life for his friends and he's calling us to do the same. Loving hear this clearly, is not about tolerance. We seem to think that if we love someone, then we just accept everything that they do and we should. That's not biblical. We'd accept people as they are, but if we genuinely love them, then we need to do as Jesus did. When we talk about the woman who was caught in adultery, we love talking about the fact that Jesus didn't judge her, Jesus didn't persecute her, but we don't talk about the bit right at the end. What did he say right at the end? Woman. Go and sin no more. We talk about the miraculous healing of the guy by the pool of Bethesda. And I still don't understand that. Jesus walked through hundreds of people to get to this one man and asked, do you want to be healed? And he gave reasons as to why he couldn't be healed. And Jesus said, mate, you're missing the point. Stand up. Get lost. And then when Jesus found him later, uh, you know, this guy had encountered the legalistic attitude of the Pharisees. And Jesus came upon him and He says to him, go and sin no more so that nothing worse happens to you. And we are to nurture and build relationships in love with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know the Matthew 18 passages which call us to hold our our brothers accountable for their sins. There's something about going to a brother because they've sinned. And we also need to make sure we're not sinning against our brothers and sisters. And something that is rife in churches, right across Brisbane, right across Queensland, right across Australia, is gossip. And we're told to not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and will be judged by the law. And we shouldn't gossip about anyone. If there's any misunderstanding about what gossip is, gossip is simply sharing something about another person that you haven't spoken to them about. 
And we got these people who put this lovely spiritual twist on it. Well, I only told about them so that we could pray for them. Uh, I had a friend in another church who was telling me that they had these prayer sessions where they, they'd start praying and it'd be something like, oh Lord, you know, please forgive Ben for what he did. That was a terrible thing. And they'd actually mention what this terrible thing was. And then someone else would go, oh yeah, but Lord Charlie, he actually... And this guy was like, guys, stop, stop. You're gossiping. They, oh no, we're praying. We're praying. And they hadn't addressed those issues with each other. Guys, it's sin. I can't imagine what that does to God. I can't imagine what it does to Holy Spirit. I can't imagine what it does to Jesus. And we've got to stop it. And I've said, there's so many of you young people who have come and spoken to me. I've said, if someone comes to you, just say, hey, stop. Have you spoken to Charlie about that? Have you found out what really happened? And if they go, oh, yeah, but... You just There's no buts here. If you haven't spoken to Charlie, if you haven't spoken to the person involved, I don't want to know. That's gossip. And if each of us are willing to do that, we'll kill it. I remember I went to the Solomons. I might have told you this before. I went to the Solomons. And there's this great celebration because there was these two women that uh, were put in front of the church and they were celebrating because they were coming back into fellowship. And I was like, wow, what's this all about? Uh, they'd actually been put out of the church for a couple of months because they'd gossiped. Imagine. We're told not to do it. Jesus wants us to be open with others. He wants us to love them and allow them to love us. And I know there's so many people who've been hurt by the church. I was kicked out. That isn't Jesus. That is man. We're all broken. We're all sinful. And I couldn't in good faith walk away from the church. I did walk away from that church but I do go back and visit that church. And I found another fellowship because that is not God. And I have to be gathered. I have to have brothers and sisters around me. I have to be encouraged. I have to be serving somewhere in some capacity. Think of Jesus, the hurt and rejection that he suffered. And he still loved those who were doing it to him, those who persecuted him. And Jesus died for the church uh, I, I've possibly shared many times. <clears throat> I don't know anyone who walks up to a groom and says, hey, mate, your bride is ugly on the day they get married. It just doesn't happen. Has anyone seen that happen? No. It doesn't happen. But when we start slandering other people in the church, when we start saying the church is bad, we're saying, Jesus, your bride is ugly. The church is the bride of Christ. And she knows she's got things to sort out. But you shouldn't be speaking against it. You should be taking the steps and everything you can take in order to present a beautiful bride to Christ. That's ultimately what is going to happen. And so, guys, we need to be a model of friendship. I'm running over, aren't I? Sorry about that. That's only 31 minutes. That's okay. As Jesus faced the cross in his final moments with the disciples, he wanted to emphasize to them the importance of fellowshipping together. These were some of his last words. And so he says, you know, he gives them how to deal with their life after he's gone so that they can work out, sorry, so that his work would continue. And so John 15, 14 to 15 says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, but for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I've heard from the Father, I have made known to you. 
Think about what's going on. This is on here. This is Jesus, the creator of all things. He who is enthroned in glory. He who has angels gathered around him over and over crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then these are the ones who say, worthy is the lamb to receive honor and praise and glory. And he says, you are my friends. It is mind-blowing. And he says that we're his friends because he wants to tell us all things. He wants us to understand what we are to do. He has disclosed to us everything that God has told him. And he's going to continue to do that. He is at God's right hand right now, interceding for us, interceding for me, praying for us and asking that God's will will be done through us. He's provided for us until this time and he'll keep doing so until we stand in his presence in glory. Jesus was not just a friend of the 12. It's a statement to each and every follower of Jesus. He's our friend. And as such, he prayed for us. And he continues to do so at the right hand of God. And his desire is that we will all be one. Just as the Father and he is one. That Jesus is in him and he is in Jesus. Jesus' prayer is that we will be one. The Father and the Spirit are all completely united. Sorry, the Father and the Spirit and Jesus are all completely united. And he wants the same for us, for his body, the church, for you and me. And it's when we're united in Christ that we're most effective for him. It's a unity and not division that we should be striving for. We seem to focus so much on that which divides and so little on that which unites. Let's see if we can turn that around. When the world looks upon the church, and they see us arguing, they see us gossiping, they see us stabbing each other in the back. What are we demonstrating that's unique to us that they should desire? They don't need to come to the church to have that, eh? And they look to the church to see what Christianity is all about. They look to you and your individual lives to see a difference. This should be a sanctuary. It should be a safe place. A place where we genuinely love each other. Look to build each other up. We should build this place to be a place where we pray for each other, encourage each other, and share God's word and all he's done that has encouraged and strengthened us as individuals. And we should speak of his goodness constantly. Constantly. And we're out, when we're out there living for Jesus, how empowering would it be to know that you could call a dozen people in the church and say, hey, I'm about to step out in faith for the first time and tell someone about Jesus. Will you pray for me? And know that those people are going to be praying, petitioning Jesus, asking him that he'll give you the courage to carry that through. Wouldn't it be great to know that there's a group of people in the church so determined to obey Jesus that they get together regularly to pray just for that? Lord, help me submit all of my life to you. Help me to be obedient to you. Help us to love each other, Lord, and help us to push that out into the wider church as well. Let's be a people who come together to encourage and build each other up in the faith. Let's pray. Father God,
Your word's a powerful word. It's alive. It's living. It's challenging. And Lord, my desire is that there's been something in this message which has just called people closer to you. And Father, we're in restrictions right now, but God, I want to pray for people. If people are struggling, Lord, let them come forward. Let them ask for prayer. Let them ask a Christian brother or sister alongside them to pray for them. Lord, let this be a place where your work is done. Let this be a night where your name is honoured and glorified because people submit to you and are obedient to what you're calling them to. Father, 2021 is a new year for us at SDBC. And Lord, I want it to be a year where we honour and glorify you like we never have before. I want people to look upon this church and say, that is a church who loves Jesus. So Father, do your walk with each one, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.